Chapter 7 of Carpenter's Geographical Reader, Asia, by Frank Carpenter. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Betty B. The Emperor, How Japan is Governed. The chief object of our travels today is to learn something of how the Japanese Empire is governed. It is ruled by an emperor through his cabinet and parliament. The emperor is the executive, and his powers are somewhat like those of our president. He has the right to make treaties with other nations, and he can at his will declare war or peace. His cabinet consists of nine ministers, who are at the heads of the great departments which carry on the government. They correspond to our department secretaries at Washington, and include ministers of the Treasury, State, War, and Navy, as well as of Agriculture, Justice, Interior, Education, and Communications, the last having to deal with the Postal Service and also with railroads and telegraphs when commodore perry came to japan the people had a feudal system much like that of europe during the middle ages the country was divided up into states owned by daimos or lords each of whom had many samurai or soldiers these lords and their retainers formed the japanese army and their commander-in-chief called the shogun was the real ruler the people were heavily taxed and they had but few rights the emperor was supposed to be too holy to rule and was kept secluded in his palaces in kyoto in central japan these conditions continued for some years after japan was open to the trade of the world then the greatest men of the empire decided that the country should have a modern government they came together and overthrew the shogun and in eighteen sixty eight made the emperor the actual ruler they formed a constitution and established a parliament elected by the people. Now all the laws are made by the parliament, and the people themselves say who and what shall be taxed. The members of parliament vote all the money for carrying on the government, and in this way every one has his own rights, and the Japanese are almost as free as ourselves. The houses of parliament correspond to our Congress. There are two houses, an upper and a lower. The upper house is much like our Senate, or perhaps more like the English House of Lords. It represents the nobility, most of its members being chosen from the noble families, although some are appointed by the emperor on account of their learning or for the services which they have rendered the state. The lower house corresponds to our House of Representatives. Its members are elected by the people, only the men being allowed to vote. Parliament meets much like our Congress, and its business is done in about the same way. The members discuss all measures relating to public affairs, and by a majority decide what is best to be done. It is not a long ride from the palaces to the parliament buildings. There is a big wall around them, entered by gates, inside which we see hundreds of jinrickshaws, with bare-legged men in butter-bowl hats and blue tights and jackets, waiting for their employers, the members of parliament. We enter and find the houses very like those of our Congress at Washington, and the scenes much the same. Leaving here, we drive to the Emperor's palaces. His Majesty has a vast estate in the heart of Tokyo, made up of hill and valley, with lakes and streams and beautiful woods. As we saw from the watchtower, it is surrounded by wide moats filled with water, where great lotus flowers float upon their green leaves. On the banks are many wide-spreading pine trees, centuries old. We cross the moats on bridges of marble, 
and passing soldiers and servants in european clothes find ourselves in the home of this mighty ruler it is far different from that of our president the palaces consist of many one-story buildings constructed after the style of japanese temples they cover acres and have hundreds of rooms in some of them the walls are sliding screens of plate glass which move in grooves so that they can be shoved back and several rooms thrown into one the ceilings are decorated with the finest embroidery and some of the walls are covered with brocaded silks like that of a ball dress the floors are inlaid in a sort of wooden mosaic and the matting upon them is as soft as thick moss we pass through hall after hall and at last reach his majesty's presence he is dressed in the uniform of a general of his army and looks not unlike some other japanese we have met he is much revered by the people any japanese man would give up his life for the emperor his soldiers rush into battle shouting his name and they esteem it a glory to die in his cause this respect for the emperor is a part of the education of the japanese schoolboy a promise to be true to his majesty is hung on the walls of every schoolroom and in case of a fire that promise is the first thing the children are instructed to save the people think so much of him that they keep their heads bowed as he goes through the streets the emperor is a hard-working monarch he loves his subjects and most of his time is taken up in the affairs of the government he has cabinet ministers who bring him daily reports from all parts of the empire and in time of war it is he who directs the movements of the army and navy he devotes himself also to the arts of peace and does all he can to develop japan the empress is also greatly beloved by the people her majesty has her own palaces inside the moats in which she lives with her secretaries and servants she wears foreign clothes upon all state occasions although when at home she prefers japanese gowns and japanese ways her majesty is at the head of many movements for the advancement of women she sometimes visits the schools and she has established a great school of her own for the daughters of the princes and nobles on our way back from the palace we pass many policemen and we observe that good order is kept everywhere the police have foreign clothes much like those worn by the police of america they carry swords and clubs and sometimes tie their prisoners with ropes and drive them on their way to the jail there are now police stations all over the empire and life and property are quite as safe as in any part of our union we can go through the country as freely as though we were in europe or the united states japan is now on an equal footing with all other lands and travelers have the same rights the police will not stop us and ask us as to our business the japanese are a courteous people and everything excepting the fortifications is shown to the stranger there are courts everywhere and all are allowed a fair trial the greatest penalty that can be inflicted is death by hanging but this is only for murder most other crimes are punished by imprisonment and fines and for small offenses the fines are sometimes as low as five cents we shall next visit the department of war which regulates all matters relating to the japanese army the country has now one of the best armies of the world and its arrangements are such that it will always have plenty of soldiers we see the schoolboys everywhere drilling they begin as soon as they are strong enough to carry a gun and go through their exercises under the command of real army officers at the age of seventeen every boy is expected to enter some branch of the army 
and after he becomes a man, he has seven years to serve as a soldier. The Japanese Navy is one of the strongest of the world. The country has naval schools, and it has shipyards in which great gunboats are made. It has also many large war vessels which have been constructed in Europe, and it is well able to defend itself from invasion by other nations and to stand up for its rights. We find that one of the most important offices of the Emperor's Cabinet is the Minister of Communications, who manages the railroads and also the postal and telegraph systems. In the past, Japan had no means of transportation except horses or men, and all letters were carried by messengers whose chief costume consisted of a cloth about the waist and a coat of tattooing. The service was so expensive that only the rich could afford to send letters. Then an American from our post office department was brought out to Japan. He showed the emperor how we carried our mails, and his majesty ordered that the same system should be introduced here. The present postal arrangements are good, and letters are sent all over the country for less than two cents apiece. The government makes its own postage stamps, and picture postal cards are sold by the millions. If we should call at the post office department, we might learn that its service is now handling more than a billion postcards and letters a year, and that it carries many million newspapers and books. Connected with every post office is a savings bank in which the children are urged to deposit their pennies, and there is also a telegraph office at which one can send a 15-word message to any part of Japan for 10 cents. We shall meet Japanese postmen on the streets of every city we visit. They wear blue clothes, and their blue mittened feet rest on straw sandals. They deliver the letters at all the houses and collect from the mailboxes at the street corners, just as our postmen do. Our next visit is to the Treasury Department to learn something of the money of the country. These people use coins of gold, silver, and copper, and they also have paper banknotes made in their own bureau of engraving and printing. The unit of value is the gold yen, worth about 50 cents, but this is not coined, a silver yen of the size and shape of our dollar taking its place. Each yen contains 100 sen, or cents, and each sen, 10 rin. There are 50 sen, 20 sen, 10 sen, and 5 sen pieces of silver, and there are also nickel coins of 5 sen. The copper pieces are two sen, one sen, one half sen, and one rin, or one tenth of a sen, the latter being worth about one twentieth of one cent of our money. End of chapter seven.